Today's program was brought to you by Blueprint, the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. For more information, visit Blueprint.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonnie, and today we're coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to the show live every Thursday at 11 a.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes. Today, I am beyond excited to take a quick break from the world of home design and human design, for that matter, to celebrate a company that designs for one of our favorite four-legged friends, dogs. Lindsay Drago is the founder and designer behind Billy Wolf, a company that produces jackets, bandanas, bags, and bowls made from vintage, salvaged, and dead stock fabrics and trims. As a former and self-described crazy cat person, I never thought I'd see the day where I saved up to buy dog accessories, but I couldn't be happier that Lindsay is designing things for dogs that, were they available in human form, I would want to wear myself. So let's welcome Lindsay to the show and learn more about Billy Wolf. Lindsay, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) So um, let's start back at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Where did you grow up and how did you get into design? Um, I grew up in Tennessee. And I went to school, I went to college in Alabama for industrial design. And I, I always liked creating things. That was what my passion was. When I was in high school, I had a candle making business. You know, I was always <laughs> <laughs> making things. And I wound up in fashion somehow right after school. And um, I started with Ralph Lauren. I was there for five years. And that was huge for me and that's what's allowed me to do this and after leaving there I went to a few other design firms and um, I I worked for a not so great design company (laughs) where basically I'd go home crying every day and the economy was bad and I had made my dog a jacket and then hence Billy Wolf was formed. (laughs) So where does the name Billy Wolf come from? Um, It's a made up name. I (laughs) I wanted a classic Southern name, so Billy, of course, and um, I had children books from the 1920s from Amy Pretense, and all her characters in there were Brown Squirrel and Quacky Duck, and there was this beautiful wolf illustration in there. So I was like, oh, it's like Billy Wolf. Like, <laughs> it, it, that was it, and it stuck. <laughs> That's so great. So talk a little bit about the transition from designing for people to designing for dogs. Were you scared to make that jump, or was it something you thought you'd maybe do on the side as a hobby? Um, so how it started was I had made the jacket for my dog, and I'd gotten so many compliments on it. And basically, I had just cut up an old Pendleton blanket and made his jacket. So I figured, you know, people like these. So I started sewing them at night after work, and then I would sell them at Artist and Flea in Brooklyn on the weekends. And they sold. People liked them. They really <laughs> liked them. So one thing led to another. I saved the money that I had made that first year. The next year, I was able to find a factory in the city on 39th Street to have them make it. So then I did my second run and I sold them at the markets again. And then about after three years of saving and doing it, I was able to quit my nine to five job and do this full time. So it's been great. I've been full time now for a little over a year. That's fantastic. I think that's a really impressive leap, especially 
in a fairly niche market and a really tough economy for sort of smaller scale designers right now to be able to go full time says a lot about the success of the business. Oh, <laughs> should be really happy about that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your life with dogs. Did you grow up uh, in a family full of dogs or did you get your first dog sort of no, I, family? I grew up with dogs. We always had hunting dogs, um, oh. you know, growing up in Tennessee. <laughs> So I always had bigger dogs. And then when I was in Alabama, that's when I got my current dog. So he's 12 now. What and type of dog is he? He's a Chihuahua mix. <laughs> <laughs> and he's awful. He, <laughs> he would like, think that I do dog stuff and that I'm so focused and love dogs that I would have this amazing, sweet little dog. But I don't. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's so well, it's great that you have a chihuahua because it leads to a question I'm dying to ask both as sort of justification for me buying as many coats as I've purchased. Um, talk a little bit about the idea that dogs need coats in the first place, because I, I recently went to the vet with my dog, Hope, and was asking, like, do I need to buy her a coat? I had already bought her two coats at that point, but really wanted like a doctor's note to kind of confirm that I needed one. And I thought maybe because she was from Puerto Rico, she was used to warmer temperatures. And my doctor confirmed that certain breeds need them. But they can you do. talk a little bit about that? Um, the New York Times wrote a great article about it. And short-haired dogs, when it gets super cold, it can cause them to for their blood pressure, it can cause health problems with them. So it's like, and especially like in bigger dogs, like pit bulls that have short hair, mm. they get cold. They need it. And it's cold in the city. You know, it's, you get the wind whipping between the streets. It's, it can be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why I was out, out there this morning in McCarran Park for like the awfully shower and all of the humans were huddled in like a big circle trying to like protect each other from the wind and the dogs are running around and thinking some of them have got to be cold. It's freezing out there and especially now that all of like the standing water in the park has turned to ice and I feel like a coat is the perfect solution to that. It is. <laughs> I believe in a functional coat though for your dog and that was like another or one of like our main like focuses on it was that I don't a dog is a dog and yes they do get cold they do need jackets but they need to wear something that's appropriate for them. Mm -hmm. People ask all the time, "Do you will you make Halloween costumes or will <laughs> you, you know, make this girly thing?" And no, because in my mind, it's not necessarily appropriate yeah. for a dog. What were some of the design considerations you really had to take into mind when designing for a dog versus a person? How did you sort of come up with like the template you would use, or sort of the basic design layout based on a completely different animal? I had started, I had bought like a McCall's sewing pattern, <laughs> you know, nothing like fancy, but I started with that and then I just altered it and tweaked the shape and it definitely, it's, it's very hard because there's so many sizes of dogs, you know, yeah. there's a lot of long ones and skinny ones and fat ones and, and we do do, we don't do that many custom jackets anymore, but we do offer alterations. Yeah. So if there's something, if a dog's an in-between size, mm -hmm. totally don't mind adjusting it for you because it's, it's very hard. You would have to offer, you know, 20 sizes to fit yeah. every dog and you're probably not hitting every dog with that. I love one of the things that's my favorite things about what you design is that you're using vintage fabrics, found fabrics, dead stock, which are things that aren't being produced anymore, yeah. which is sort of, I'm not sure if it was intentional or unintentional, eco-friendly, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, talk about how you sort of find the materials you're working with and sort of how the eco-friendly aspect came into play. 
Well, that was definitely something that was important to me from the beginning. Um, and that's why it's produced here in the United States. Like, I wanted to reduce the amount of footprint that we leave and make quality good. I think the best way to actually make eco-friendly product is to produce quality product that will last, not things that you throw out. So we really like search for nice, great quality. Um, and we get lucky. We find a lot of dead stock. So then again, it's like we're using what's already existing. Mm-hmm. Nothing's being wasted. A lot of American-made products, which is also great because it helps give back to America. So it, it helps with the community. But yeah, everything that we do, we try to keep local. How often are you going on sort of fabric or button buying runs? <laughs> <laughs> um, I probably go, I would say, like six to eight times a year looking. That's pretty. I feel like that's the dream job. I'd like a job where I just have to go look for fabric <laughs> to make dog coats. I love it. It's stressful, though, when you don't find what you're looking for. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, I have to I have to start making stuff. What am I going to use? Yeah. Well, in particular, I mean, I want to talk to you a little bit about your inspiration for the actual just overall aesthetic of the, at least the current collection, because for me, there's a lot of like menswear influence. There's a lot of like traditional heritage textiles happening, whether it's like Pendleton or really great Buffalo plaids, so many of which are like super in vogue right now, both for fashion as well as home goods. And there's got to be some competition for those materials right now, especially like plaids and sort of great like waxed cottons because when I go to Brimfield every year I feel like there's just a swarm of like hipsters on the piles of <laughs> Pendleton and plaid and things like that um was sort of tying things into current fashion trends something in your head or was that just sort of your existing aesthetic that was my existing aesthetic and um again it goes back to the the heritage background of my design um but for me I I believe Billy Wolf the labeling everything is designed off of workwear that was the inspiration behind all of it and um it's military workwear classic americana i even though it is on trend right now i think all the companies that really last are built on a classic foundation Mm -hmm. because it's always something it's just taking the things that already are beautiful and updating them as long as you stay in that realm and you stay true to your brand you will keep that consistency you'll keep your customer I think that's a really good point of view. I think it's interesting to watch. There's There are a ton of the people designing out there for dogs. And when I first got a dog, I immediately like obsessively researched every different company that was out there. And so many of them were really like about like overly feminizing a dog or things that I just, it didn't make any sense to me. Um, And I'm sure for some people, there's not much of a line between like a dog coat and like a dog costume. But I think the functionality is a huge part of it. And I think so many of the things that you're designing are like, as you're saying, workwear influence, but are as rugged and as sturdy and as practical as workwear, which is mm-hmm. important if a dog is running around and getting dirty and outside. So I think it's good that you're keeping things like classic and simple and, oh, and basic. Um, how do you see the line expanding? Um, because did, you started with the jackets, right? And then expanded to handkerchiefs and things like it that? It started with the jackets and bandanas. Those okay. were my first two items. And basically, I wanted to get two items down. Once I had that, then I figured... I would start adding things. Um, the newest addition we have is wax canvas poop bag holders, <laughs> which are pretty awesome. Yeah. And um, we have a collapsible um, canvas water bowl that comes with a travel bag. So we're adding other accessories. Um, I would like to expand, eventually have dog beds and collars and leashes. The funny thing is, 
we're known for the jackets. Yeah. Even even adding the other stuff, people buy it, but it's not the same. Yeah. So, and that's really what I have to stay true to. So, this year I introduced a new style as with a buckle it's based off of a horse blanket. So, it's just keep evolving what we're known for and then adding nice accessories to go along. Do you see yourself expanding to other animals at any point? Or do you think you're like 100% dog 100% of the time? I think we're 100% dog. (laughs) But we've talked about a lot because we do get so many comments about, I wish that you would make this in my size. You know, like I wish I as a person could wear this (laughs) as a scarf or a jacket. or So there's definitely been some thought about maybe adding some products. Not that you would necessarily match your dog, but you could somewhat or not that you necessarily wouldn't want to match your dog. Because <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. There's totally nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I think that sort of stuff is fun. I think it's a natural expansion. I mean, to me, it parallels like the child fashion market so much because I feel like a lot of parents would be super into wearing like a mini me version of something. And I think when you're designing something so classic, like, I did just buy that the horse blanket inspired jacket <laughs> for my dog at PS9 last week. Um, and I, it's so chic. And it's the sort of thing that like I see a lot of independent designers designing very similar things for people. And yeah. I, I could see people wanting to wear the I matched to say, version. It's, it's kind of amazing now walking around Brooklyn how many children's stores you see that have really cool children's clothes. Yeah. And it's like it's all downsized. Well, I think it's just an extension of the idea. I think there are a lot of people, and Brooklyn is obviously like a very unique market. And I think you see parallels like in Portland, Oregon or in San Francisco, where people who care about living well, and I mean living well in terms of like really making thoughtful decisions about everything that they're having in their life from their home goods to what they wear to what they eat. I think dog or any sort of pet item is like an extension of that. And so whether it's the way you're dressing your child or the way you're dressing your dog, you want those things to be, you know, have the same qualities as the things you care about that you're eating or putting in your house. Yeah. We try to sell to a lot of lifestyle stores, not only pet stores, because I believe that the dog, your dog jacket, your dog accessories are a part extension of your lifestyle. It shouldn't necessarily be limited to just a pet store. Yeah. I think it's, I have so many more questions about that (laughs) pet stores and how you're, placing these and what cities are doing well in. So we'll ask more about that after the break. Um, We'll be right back with Lindsay Drago. Thank you. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Blueprint is the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. 
Designed to purify and detoxify, Blueprint Cleanse is made from the freshest 100% raw and USDA-certified organic ingredients, cold-pressed to retain nutrients and flavor. Blueprint also offers a line of organic juices, cold-pressed and raw, in a variety of fruit and vegetable combinations, and available in individual bottles. Blueprint Cleanse is available at Whole Foods Market and many other retailers across the U.S. To learn more about their line of organic cleanses, juices, and other products, visit them today at Blueprint.com or call them at 866-774-6831. That's 866-774-6831. Work hard, play hard. Cleanse, repeat. Hey, welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today I'm speaking with Lindsay Draco of Billy Wolf. Um, and before the break, we were talking about sort of the origin of the line of, of dog goods that you're designing. I want to talk a little bit about sort of how they've hit in different parts of the country. Are you seeing primarily purchases that are sort of major metropolitan areas, or do you feel like they're resonating with people who are outside of cities? Because I feel like Brooklyn is such an interesting test market for something like this. Um Brooklyn is definitely our <laughs> best market. <laughs> and it's it's funny because I have to say like the most rewarding thing is to walk down the street and like all of a sudden you pass a dog in your jacket. It's so cool. Do you ever stop anybody and say, I designed that? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, can I take a picture? <laughs> I think that's what I wanted to ask you about. Like, what's the most rewarding part of what you do? I can't imagine. I mean, I think anything associated with pets is just it's such a happy job to have. I feel like it's got to be similar to being a florist where you get to like deliver something that makes somebody happy. What's like the happiest and most rewarding part of what you do? I think the most rewarding part about what I do is that I get to work from home and I get to spend the day with my dog. You know, that was like one of the things that I hated about having my, my corporate job was that, you know, I had to leave him for nine to 10 hours a day and now he's so old. It's nice to be able to spend this time with him because He's not very um, healthy. Mm. He has health issues. So that, I have to say, is rewarding. And it's also great to be able to to meet other people's dogs and to learn about them. People love to talk about their dogs. Oh, yeah. It's kind of crazy, but it's good. (laughs) I was just talking about that this morning and how dog people kind of parallel people who have, like, new babies. And it's this thing that you talk about all the time because dogs can feel like your children. Oh, pictures. People love to... Which is cool. Because you get to see a side of someone that they're excited to talk about and they want to share. And it's not always talking about oh, what do you do for a living? Or what is this? Like you get to see like a more intimate side to people. Exactly. That kind of leads me to wonder about social media with Billy Wolf, because it's an interesting era of businesses where you get such instantaneous feedback from customers. Do you find people using those sorts of outlets to send you like images of their dogs and their coats? Do people kind of constantly reach out to you about that? They do, which we love, which is awesome. And, And that's also why I still enjoy doing the markets too, because I love meeting my customer and I love getting the feedback. You know, someone can tell me about sizing or, you know, they love the feel of the soft Sherpa and, you know, certain things. I was doing um, reversible double layer wool jackets, which I thought people would just love. <laughs> like two jackets in one. But when they felt the soft jacket, they instantly went to the soft jacket. So it was a, it's a great learning experience to really to see up front 
someone's reaction to your product. Yeah. I mean, and that soft jacket is ridiculously <laughs> soft. And I always wonder, like, does my dog notice that at all? And I just think, like, even if she doesn't, I would want to feel the soft side against me. So well, why not? Once it goes on my dog, it stays on him. Yeah. When it's cold, he wears it in the house. Like, he's comfortable in it. Yeah. And that's what's really important. You know, it's just, it's quality, comfortable, soft. And they just want to, like, cuddle. It's good. Yeah. Business-wise with Billy Wolf, what's been sort of the most challenging uh, part of starting this business or sort of the thing that's been like the biggest stumbling block that you've passed so far? Um, the business. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Did you meet with business advisors or things to set it up or did no. you just throw yourself in? No. I just, I, I wanted to have a certain amount of money saved mm-hmm. before I made made the transition. But yeah, the hardest part for me is that the company is predominantly me. So there's definite things that, that I'm not strong at. So having to learn QuickBooks to do bookkeeping and that sort of thing and learning all the shipping, um, you know, it's, it's great cause it's, it's a new knowledge now and to be able to have that's wonderful. But I still think that I could definitely be stronger on the business end of it. It's difficult. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad you said that you saved up some money before you did that. I think that's one of the smartest things that any small business venture can do because it lets you have a little bit less pressure on right. what you're doing and lets you lead with creativity and lead with passion rather than like, oh my God, I just quit my full-time job and now all <laughs> this pressure of income is on this like fledgling company. Right. Well, I still, I still pick up side part-time jobs every now and then just because since I'm working from home, it makes me a little crazy. Like I need, <laughs> and I live in Montauk. So in the wintertime, there's no one there. So it's nice to be able to get out one or two days a week and have interaction with people. I think that's one of the hardest adjustments from going working, you know, a, a nine to five job to working for yourself is that you don't have people around anymore. All the only communication is through email, you know, and so that gets it gets a little lonely sometimes. Yeah. Talk about Montauk a little bit. I love that you made <laughs> you made the leap to full time Montauk, which is I think it sounds amazing to a lot of people, but it reminds me of I grew up with relatives that lived in Martha's Vineyard, but Martha's Vineyard in the winter is not a fun place to be. What's it like to be out there and how is sort of being in Montauk informed your design sensibility? Um it's definitely helped my design sensibility because I get to be outside a lot. And that's, you know, the biggest thing. It's like every morning I can go and take a walk on the beach. I can go surfing. Again, I make my own hours. So it's like if I want to start a little bit later in the day, then I know that I can work later. Um, it's a hard place to live. You know, it's extremes. The summer you have too many people and it's obnoxious and it's crazy. And then the winter you don't have anyone. So it's really the spring and the fall that makes it amazing. I had my first fire the other night. I was so, <laughs> so excited about that to actually have a house at the fireplace. And, you know, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And I think those sorts of lifestyle things are the perks of being a, a small business owner is that when things are tough and they're difficult things, there are always those upsides that make it, I think, worth it to yeah. do your own thing. Um I want to talk a little bit about who inspires you as a business owner or maybe just even as like a woman in a creative field. Who are the people that you look up to? Um, and they don't need to be people who do exactly what you do, but who are the people you'd love to emulate or are just inspired by business-wise? That's a really good question. Um, I don't I don't have really an, an answer right off the top of my head. Uh, business-wise, 
there's so many people out there that are doing amazing things. You know, I'd, I'd have to say like when I first started, um, in God, we trust was one of the first people to pick us up. And, and that was great to have, you know, someone believe in you and, and start you in your stores. So we're, we're not there anymore, but it was great to have that leap, that first like big account to pick you up. Um, as far as other, I've, I've, I wish I had another <laughs> answer for you on that one. That's fine. we'll check back in later yeah. for that because I feel like Montauk in particular, or maybe just sort of, I think that eastern end of Long Island, not necessarily excluding the Hamptons, but I think Montauk in particular has an interesting group of creatives that are out there who are people who are working in farming or people who are writers, and I feel like. It's an interesting community that would be fun to tap into out there. That yeah, there is a lot of that. And there's so many farms that are coming back that are doing things. It's great. It really is great being out there. Yeah, I think there are a lot of women in particular out there who are doing really interesting things. I don't know if you know the girls from Amber Waves, but I feel like that yeah. that farm in particular being run by, by two incredibly talented women is a good a little resource to tap into out there. I like it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what you want people to take away from your collection. When somebody's buying, let's say, their very first Billy Wolf coat or handkerchief, what do you hope they feel when they buy that or take home with them? What's the experience you want them to have? I want, well, of course, I want them to feel good about it. But no, I, I want them to feel like they bought something for their dog that they would have wanted to buy for themselves ultimately, you know, and that be that excited to be like, Oh, like I want this for me, but my dog is <laughs> going to get to wear it. It's so cool. That's what I would want them to see. And then, and just the quality of it to see that there was a lot of love put in to making that jacket. Yeah. And what are your sort of next goals for the company? Do you have any sort of pie in the sky projects in mind or things you'd love to see the company grow into? Eventually, I would love to one day have a freestanding store, and uh, I have a lot of ideas about that. It would be it would be an antique dog store, like a mix of the furniture that I love yeah. and accessories. How does that mix. not exist yet? That I don't know, <laughs> but that's what I would love to do. Um, I don't put know. A dog Mom's photo talk- booth in there. I feel oh, like that would be so a good shot. Every time I know you, Billy Wolf is sold at West Elm, and I remember West yeah. Elm had that dog event um, with the Sato Project, which is where I got my dog from. Um, and they had a dog photo booth. I think it was Smile Booth or one of those things that operated it. And they had bajillion people there just to take pictures with That's their dog. That's an awesome idea. It's I such like a huge that I yeah. To remember that, I feel like whether or not you have children, I feel like dogs are sort of a great extension of your family, and I feel like portraits just make so much sense to go there. Um, before we leave, I want to talk a little bit about dog ownership in New York. And if people are living here, um, parks and places you love to take your dog, what is sort of your ideal dog day? If you were in the city with your dog, what are the things you like to do? Parks you like to go to? Any places like that? Um, I used to live on 15th Street. So I would take my dog over the, to the park there. Or I would take him down to Tompkins Square Park. But it's like to start at the park and then sit outside and have brunch somewhere. That, of course, <laughs> what, do, what do New Yorkers do on a Saturday or a Sunday? They have brunch. Yeah. And um, what about out in Montauk? In Montauk, we go to the beach. <laughs> he loves the beach. That, and it's good. He has a hard time walking, so the sand's really good for him. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's like his like, happiest moment in the day is when he gets to pee on everything <laughs> in the beach. <laughs> that's a tricky point. That's, yeah, that's dogs <laughs> and well, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, but before we go, um, 
Are there any other dog organizations or things you think people should know about, whether they're like rescue groups or groups that are raising money for dogs that you think people should check out? Um, definitely like ARF, a huge supporter of ARF that's in Long Island and it's a non-kill shelter out there. Um, so they're amazing. We're going to be doing in December the Long Island Bulldog Rescue. Um, they're having a red carpet event. <laughs> <laughs> so we will be at that. Um, so that's exciting. So yeah, any, any rescue organization is a good thing to be a part of. That's fantastic. Well, that's a good note to wrap up on because I want to let people know that um, you're taking part in the Brooklyn Night Bazaar, which is going on, as well as a Renegade Craft Fair. So if you want to pick up any of Lindsay's designs in person, you can do that. But you can also pick them up in Stephen Allen stores at the West Elm Market or online at BillyWolfNYC.com. Um, I think that's it for us today. But thank you so much for coming out here to speak with me, Lindsay. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you next Thursday on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.